Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. The topic inevitably comes up in any conversation uh, among, let's say, converts to Buddhism. People who, people who find Buddhism uh, at some point in their life and decide that it's their path. Uh, uh, the conversation always comes up about the path as this progression where people who come to Buddhism, in my experience, are looking for something and may, that, that something might even, you might even be able to describe as a change in their life or their personality or something. And the path represents this progression to change that thing. And the idea is, uh, in this conception, if you work hard and do a lot of Zazen or do a lot, you know, like you, you keep your practice up and you work diligently on it, that you'll get, you'll get farther and farther down the path to this thing. And maybe someday you'll get there. And then there are extreme versions of this that use words like enlightenment or awakening or nirvana mm-hmm. and that and and put these up as some sort of goal and people have these goals or these visions or these ideals in the back of their mind as they as they do their practice and then on top of that i feel like in a lot of modern and western uh forms of Buddhism in Zen in particular, there's a lot of talk that then gets layered on top of that. That's like, we don't practice for a goal. We don't sit for a reason. We're not, Mm -hmm. we're not doing like the practice is the, is the goal. The, the, like, you know, Zazen is enlightenment. And we use all these phrases and sayings like that and sort of talk ourselves out of, uh, that way of thinking. Um, but I don't think that totally eliminates it. For a lot of right. people. And it might even cause sort of like cognitive dissonance to say, you know, I don't, I do this for no reason. Uh, mm-hmm. I just do it because this is what you do. Uh, and, but, but then sort of have in your heart these sort of desires to improve something or change something or work on something. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I don't, really fall neatly into that category at least not anymore maybe i did once you know i think of this practice as like something to do to improve myself and i don't feel that way anymore i might harbor it in sort of unconscious ways and i i'm interested in exploring that but i've also heard from you a much more sort of down-to-earth way of thinking about uh developing developing things developing certain faculties or traits uh, through yeah. practice. And I want to hear from you how your way of thinking about that relates to these teachings about in the most extreme version, like in the Heart Sutra, no path, but, but, right. you know, in a lot of other ways of putting it have to do with like practice is enlightenment and, you know, that sort of thing. Like you're already there. We already have it. So how, how does that kind of teaching in Zen connect to the way you think about Zazen as uh, a form of, of help or, or, or improvement or how, like what words would you use for that? Yeah. It's such a weird concept to think about because 
why would you do it if you never had a goal in mind? Right. I mean, why do we, you do anything if there's no goal in mind? You eat because you're hungry and you go to sleep because you're tired mm-hmm. and you have the goal of that I'll be rested if I go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, you know, I've heard like Shinryu Suzuki and um, Dogen say stuff like, oh, well, if you start with the goal of attainment in mind, then you're already off to a bad start. Mm-hmm. But how can you even start if you don't have a goal in mind? Right. That's always the sort of, um, I don't know, enigma of it, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously came in with a, with a goal in mind. I, I think it wasn't ever to reach nirvana. Mm. I tried it, to put it in my mind, nirvana, as something that's just like unattainable mm-hmm. and that it's really just like the journey to reaching that goal that is what's most important. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I mean, I, I think that in some ways I look at certain people pe- people throughout history and I'm like, I wonder if they were enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really know what that means. So it's kind of a hard thing to try to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like instead I do have I do think of it like pretty very practically, like you said, which is still kind of having a goal in mind, I think. But it is more of a practice than it is like I don't gain something instantly from doing it. Hmm. It's like delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't even like draw that connection that this thing happened because I was meditating. So in essence, even if you have an idea that, yeah, like when you meditate, the emotional center of your brain, if you do it long enough, then it that actually shrinks. But it doesn't necessarily feel like that, mm-hmm. like that that's what's happening. Like you can't notice it immediately, at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't you don't just sit down and be like, wow, I my emotional I brain my is brain getting shrinking. smaller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's so gradual that it's even it's so hard to see the improvement sometimes until it just like sneaks up on you. Mm. So I guess, yeah, I, I do I do have in mind that like what keeps me coming to the cushion a lot of times is like I'm not happy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go sit down and, and uh, work that out, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think lately, well, not lately, always, always. This is this is my my problem is that I I always make these like grand goals and then once I attained them, I'm not any happier than when I didn't attain them. Mm-hmm. And I know that about me. And I dislike that about me. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that if I sit long enough, I'll stop being that way. And that's pretty much my goal. <laughs> but I try, again, like, I get the whole thing. You're not supposed to have a goal. But practically speaking, how do you not have a goal? I think you've said something more nuanced than that teaching, though, too. Which is, I mean, first, yes, first of all, yeah, like, how can you practically do it without a goal? Like, even if it's just a sort of lure to get you to sit down in the first place, like the goal may drop away when you're practicing, but the goal, the goal serves its purpose of getting you to sit. And and how could you not have that? That's, that's on one level, I, I think a very good point that you're making, but, but there's one that you, that I, I think you're saying, I want to clarify, that's even more interesting to me, which is that the 
you use the phrase delayed gratification, the, the, the awareness that the goal is not getting tangibly any closer seems like it's sort of an object of practice for you. Like, like you have, you, you have this goal in mind, but you sit and you don't, you're conscious of not feeling yourself progressing incrementally towards that goal. And you keep sitting with that anyway. And that delayed gratification is sort of like a way of pushing off short-term desires or needs into long-term lifelong things. And that itself is a sort of achievement unrelated to the goal in a way right. that I find pretty interesting. Is that, am I, because there's not like an right? immediate reward attached to yeah. sitting most of the time. Yeah. So even if this goal gets you to do the practice, you are aware that the practice isn't, isn't moving you towards the goal in some, in some tangible or, 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 or measurable way. And it's it's not like you're deluding yourself that you're you're getting like a little bit happier and a little bit more forgiving and a little bit whatever it is each time you sit you're you're realizing that that it feels like it always feels and that yet that goal still sort of remains and then you have it sort of in the back of your mind it sounded like you were saying maybe maybe someday maybe someday I'll look back and realize that that I that it changed maybe I'll look back and realize I never needed a goal right yeah 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 exactly yeah <laughs> so i feel like there's a new teaching there i mean i feel like it's maybe it's a it's a less kind of idealistic version of the same teaching that you know because because it's it's it, it is idealistic to sort of think i will just sit here for no reason and and be perfectly okay with that always mm-hmm. uh, and have that be my practice i feel like you're admitting a sort of practical need for something that the teachings say not to have, but you're doing it in a way that's very conscious of it as just a sort of means to the end of doing the practice. Right. It's hard to attach a reward to the practice. I think that, you know, you do a lot of things for some sort of gratification, but I guess the gratification is just that you went and sat down and did it anyway. (laughs) Do you have a like a sort of reward feeling after you sit that's like ah I did it? Does that is that a, a thing that happens for you or motivates you at all? No. Hmm. Again, I think most of the reward the reward comes from the just being with the community. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think that's why it's so hard for me to sit by myself. I mean, I do, but I just sit so much less. Yeah. By myself than I do with the community. So there's probably more reward sitting with them than on my own. When on my own, like, I'll do it because I think I should do it, but I don't feel like I get any reward from it. Hmm. Well, that seems good from a Zen point of view. Well, what about you? Well, I, 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 I think that might be a risk for me. I don't, I don't feel it consciously, but I do... I do think that I have a motivation somewhere deep down mm-hmm. of of really p- penetrating the heart of the great matter. You know, like use, use, to use like big Zen words like that. Like like yeah. some like my I, I am motivated by the idea that my zazen is deepening, that it's expanding, that I'm that I'm that I'm getting that I'm getting more closer to the heart of it than. I was before 
or than I was a year ago when I joined the Sangha. And, and, and the thing is, I really can palpably feel that to be the case. Yeah. But the conscious part of doing the practice every day doesn't really have any goals or rewards in mind. But I do think that there might be a sort of, you know, ant like like lizard brain sort of reward circuitry that I that, that yeah. lights up for me after I'm done because it helps me towards this goal of, you know, deepening the practice, whatever. That well, is. listen, like this is what's confusing to me because you're sitting more than I am and you feel like maybe you're getting some kind of reward out of it. Uh, th- this is w- what I'm bringing back to my life where I set up all these goals that I that I kind of like don't live in the moment all the time because I'm thinking about like what it'll be like when these goals are reached and once I reach them it's like not any different from when I didn't have that goal reached uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering like maybe that's why they I don't know maybe that's why they don't want us to have the goals but it seems like they're also helping like I've done mm-hmm. a lot of things because I had these goals in mind, I've gotten my master's degree. I'm almost about to graduate um, and, you know, worked really hard at certain things just to achieve those goals. And I try not to bring that as much goal oriented stuff into my practice. And yet I don't do it as much. So mm-hmm. where, like, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, there's just there's a psychology that I mean, and I feel like you've you've expressed some pretty neat tricks of psychology in how you get yourself onto the cushion, and, and there's just maybe there's I mean there's more I have I have other ones that you haven't mentioned I mean I don't know if I've talked about it this way, but I I had a pretty firm psychological goal I don't know if psycholo- psychological is the right word for it but I had I had a sort of training goal a very concrete one behind the the intention to start doing this intensive everyday practice that I've been doing a year ago, which was based on my prior experience with doing Zazen fervently for short amounts of time and then burning out on it, uh, and, you know, over and over again and going for many months without ever doing any Zazen for years since I first encountered the practice. And the thing I figured out about that eventually is that I was not making it a habit in a in a very boring, uh, like almost hygiene oriented way. I was mm-hmm. making it into this sort of idealistic spiritual goal. And really, what I what I realized, you know, this time last year, is that what I wanted is it for it to really just be an everyday boring not boring, but, you know, mundane thing that I do. It's just a thing that I do. And so the metaphor, and it's possible I've said this on the show already, but the metaphor that I, or, or the analogy that I that I came up with was brushing my teeth. I yeah. wanted to make Zazen into something that was like brushing my teeth because it would be something that I would do not automatically, not out of reflex, uh-huh. but because it was something that my that I needed to do for everything to feel right. And if, yeah. and if I didn't do it, it would be okay, but it would still feel weird. And then I would go back to doing it. It wouldn't destroy the habit like I did every time I skipped one day in the past. So th- this is a this is a goal oriented way of looking at it. The goal was to make it a normal thing that I do all the time. 
Well, yeah, you're right. It's still a goal. It's weird, but that seems like a better goal in in some ways. Like I, I kind of want everything in my life to feel that way. Mm-hmm. That I don't, I, because then I feel like I can actually be there more in the moment during those things because there's no like thinking about like what it's going to be like when I get really good at brushing my teeth or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things that having this in this this kind of goal, this very mechanical. It's that's a metaphor I don't mean to use like this, this just very mundane bodily goal that I had about the practice is it was a good way to get rid of resistance to doing the practice where if I ever had any kind of feeling of like, ugh, like I don't want to do this today. There was an out, a psychological out that was like, remember brushing your teeth. You know, Mm. like just do it so that it's like brushing your teeth. Like you don't want, you don't look forward to brushing your teeth every day, but you don't, you don't regret brushing your teeth either. So just brush your teeth and then I would do it. And, and it sort of, it sort of got the motivation and resistance questions out of the way. And since it wasn't a spiritual goal, or at least it wasn't framed as a spiritual goal, it wasn't a goal of like, I want to become a better person who meditates all Mm -hmm. the time. It was just a goal of like, I want to do this particular thing with my body and brain and breathing uh, every day. And I want to, and I want to make that into a habit. And that kind of kept all of that thinking and wrestling and resistance in this sort of very boring realm. Uh, maybe one important part of it is that it wasn't it wasn't affecting my character. You know, it wasn't it wasn't reflecting on how good of a person I am or how virtuous of a person I was. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't about self improvement. It was just about changing. It, it was it was no different from like having like do I want to drink coffee today or do I want to you know like what do I want for lunch? It was it was a decision on the order of like the kinds of stuff I'm going to do today, not a decision on the kind of person that I'm going to be. And maybe that's the category of goal that, that, you know, Zen teachers throughout the ages have warned against is like, don't have the goal of being someone else, have the goal of be, of being your natural self and your natural self does change and, and does things that are more or less skillful or more or less healthy and mm-hmm. it's 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 you have to take care of yourself. You you quoted one of the deepest, you know, Zen. I think it's a koan that the when hungry eat, when tired when tired sleep, uh, thing. Like I don't know, if you did that on purpose, but like that <laughs> is purpose, that, no. that is a Zen thing. It's like what you know, like monk. You know, it's the classic situation of monks being all impertinent and being like, well, how do I get enlightened right now? And the teacher's like, when you're hungry, eat. When you're tired, sleep. And that's all there is to it. And I think that maybe what's the deepest thing about that teaching is when, you know, I don't know what, what the condition is for doing Zazen, but it should be on the same level as eating and sleeping. Yeah. When, when alive do Zazen. (laughs) Well, I think the difference with that is like, we have to kind of form that habit. Like you were, you were saying, because, you know, it's very obvious that I am going to eat because I'm going to be in a bad mood if Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not going to feel very good. And if I don't brush my teeth, my teeth feel like there's like mittens on them or something <laughs> like that. And, and I don't want to go to bed with mittens on my teeth. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. <laughs> That's exactly what I want not doing Zazen to feel like. Yeah. Having mittens on my brain. But yeah, so the problem is there's not like a 
there's not like a physiological drive to do zazen so we have mm. to make that up for ourselves somehow train ourselves to feel like it's weird well so i found one <laughs> like I, I i didn't know that i didn't know that there was i i think i thought that too when i when i decided to start this time because i'd done a lot of zazen and there never had been but there there is a teaching i can't believe we're going to break the seal on the podcast and talk about it there there, there is a sort of physiological practice like a grounded in Chinese medicine that has been part of Zen the whole time that when I ask sensei or other Soto Zen teachers about it, they're always like, yeah, you should do that. And, but they never bring it up. Whereas in Rinzai Zen, this is what they teach you to do on the first day. And I feel like it's a complete self-own that you don't learn this in every Soto Zen center in America on the first day that you come to do Zazen. But I understand on a philosophical level why the Soto Shu doesn't want to be teaching specific physiological concepts uh, like this because there's a sort of magical or mystical or spiritual component to it. And that doesn't really vibe with just sitting until you find it and realize that it's just part of your body uh, or it's just like the way you are. Uh, the, the practice is breathing from the hara or, or specifically the, the tanden in Japanese or dantian in Chinese. It's, it's this spot in the belly uh, that is, uh, it's a, it's a, it comes, came into, uh, I mean, obviously there are analogs in, Indian like physiology or, or, you know, I don't know what you call this, the, the Indian spiritual medicine body, the Vedic, Vedic yogic system. Like obviously like, I know what, I know what area of the body you're talking about. The little, the little little pits in the stomach kind of thing. Yeah. I think I know it more from yoga to be honest. Yeah. So like there's, there, there are clearly analogous concepts in Indian Buddhism that come from that tradition, but the, but the, the Taoist practice of breathing from the Hara made it into Zen in China and, and has been passed down as a sort of key to, no pun intended, because key is the word in Japanese for the energy that you're working with, chi in Chinese. Uh, the, it's the key to, I, I mean, I guess to put it in, a, in simple terms, bringing the energy down from your head into your body and that is a sensation that you can really feel. And so there's, there's all this, there's all this teaching about, uh, what the, what the, about how the energy moves, the key or chi in Chinese, like, like it's the same term as prana in, in Sanskrit. And that's probably a term that people use pretty conventionally in yeah. yoga classes. It's the same thing, but it is, it is definitely something that all forms of Buddhism work with as a sort of embodiment practice but there's there are all these there are the thing is in 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 Taoism and in and early zen that made it into the the practices that we do today but in very different forms there are all these specific kinds of breathing and so it, it didn't really light up for me until i started doing a kind of breathing warm-up that it, that i got from rinzai zen instructions which was about so there's this spot and it's it's you know supposedly like three finger widths down from your navel and then like one inch into your body. You, you, you rest your attention there and then you breathe in such a way that go the, the air comes all the way down that low into your body. And then 
you feel that spot. And if when you breathe out, that spot remains sort of expanded rather than sucking back in as the air goes out. That means you're holding it properly. It's very hard to sort of do just from verbal instructions, but you spend enough time breathing this way, you find it. And so in this text of, of Rinzai's breathing instructions, uh, the, the teacher gave the instruction to do this 10 times, counting 10 breaths at the beginning of Zazen, and then you can drop it. And, and so the, the interesting thing about this particular thing I was reading is that he, was, he kept making allowances for Soto style sitting. He was saying, you do this, you, you do your 10 breaths, and then you, then you take hold of your Mu Koan or whatever, you know, you do your Rinzai Zazen after that. But he kept saying things like, if you want to just, if you want to sit with your eyes open, it's okay. If you want to just gaze at the wall instead of holding your koan, that's okay. And so that kept giving me permission to be like, what if I just do this and keep doing the practice that I've been doing, but do this kind of breathing. And so I started doing these 10 breaths and then sitting the rest of my sit, just, just the way I normally would. And it didn't take, but a couple of days before there was this fire in my belly from doing this breathing that not only did it kick in over a few minutes as I was doing Zazen, but it stayed there all day or like most of the day. And I could recover it very easily if it went away. And so now it sort of feels like there's a lot more I could say about what it does for me and how it feels and, and, and other stuff I'm doing to work with it. But the bottom line is there's a feeling of having done Zazen that day that's different from having not having done it for me. And the it also makes it quicker to feel like I am doing the practice and not just settling in to it because there's this mm-hmm. there's this feeling, there's this like thing I, I I know to look for and can find. And I I I don't doubt that I'm still very, very early on in the process of figuring out what this practice is and how it how it works for me. But there's there's no question that there's a physical sensation associated with practice that's that's as profound of a thing as like feeling like your muscles after you've worked out so why do you think that they do not teach it in soto zen well i i have a couple of well first of all they do in japan in the monastery uh and i i have a feeling that it is that that the 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 reasoning behind not really introducing new practitioners to it in a lay context was was made for good reasons uh because it introduces a concept you know a sort of imaginary like thing to have in your mind other than sitting and a sort of is it working is it not working kind of mm-hmm. question that i do think people could get really hung up on really easily and I think it only, I mean, I did, I got this teaching in college when I had a Rinzai teacher, but I was just like, whoa, okay, I'm supposed to feel something and I don't. And so, you know, oh. like this, you know, like I, I sort of, I sort of let it go. But this time I was like, people keep talking about this. It's got to be somewhere. And I've done enough preliminary Soto Zen practice that I feel like I can explore this honestly without getting attached to whether it works or not. 
maybe even from a skeptical point of view of like, this isn't going to work, but like, I'll try it anyway. And then I found it and it took some time, but I don't think that a beginner is really prepared to do that in a way that doesn't get hung up on like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Kinds of stuff. And I feel like Soto generally comes down on the right side of the decision to just simplify it as much as possible and me and say, all you have to do is sit. And if you're sitting, you're doing it. And if you're not sitting, you're not doing it. And I think that's the right call for most people. But I do think there's so much more to how to sit, how the body can sit than is available in that instruction. And, and, and this kind of breathing has to do with it. Uh, and so, I mean, really, my practice is kind of a hybrid now, except that I do sit with my eyes open and I don't have a koan. And I do just sit once I get this breathing going. So I feel very strongly that it's Soto practice and that I'm not. Doing I mean, it's like you're just using it to start out. Right. Yeah. It's it's no different to me from adjusting my posture to get like the seat. Right. I mean, they usually say stuff like t- take a few deep breaths in before you, you know, settle into a breath. Yeah. A, a regular natural breath, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And Sensei actually pushed back on me a little bit at one point because he because he he felt I at least what I was describing was not that I was saying things like now I breathe like this. And it's so and, you know, I was, I was, I was, you know, I, I said the, the phrase I learned when I learned to breathe like this, everything changed. And he stopped. And he's like, me. You don't need to learn how to breathe. Yeah, exactly. You already know how to breathe. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I can, I can imagine him saying that. And, and, and he was right. But at the same time, I think it was just that I was overexcited. It wasn't that I was wrong. It was that I was attaching yeah. myself to this outcome. Uh, and the, the idea of a natural breath does make sense to me, but I think that there, I think that the idea of a natural running stride makes sense to me too, but just running however you would, however you would instinctively run doesn't mean your body is moving in the way that could, that would let you run the fastest that you could possibly run, you know? Or the most but, efficiently, or the or without hurting yourself, or something. But the this, I mean, I don't know about that analogy because it's not like the goal is to do zazen better than other, or better than before. No, or... no, it's not about doing zazen better. It's about breathing better. It's about breathing. It's about breathing. And man, yeah, you know, I just said better. It's not about doing zazen better. It's not about breathing better. It's about breathing in a way that engages your whole body and mind instead of being something that you do reflexively because it's how you always breathe. And this is, this is actually really what the key is. Like I know I've described this like amazing sensation that happens and how cool that is, but really what's changed is that breathing has become all I'm doing. Like I don't, I don't have to wrestle with thinking anymore. Because breathing is so much more of an experience than thinking is when I'm breathing this way. And so this is what this is what I mean maybe in the most realistic or concrete terms about dropping the energy down from my head into my body is that there's so much more happening in the breath as a result of engaging the whole body and all these muscles and all this energy this way that thinking is just kind of like, it's just kind of this like dull background experience that's not even interesting anymore. And so it's helping me do the practice. I'm not necessarily loading it with better or worse or faster or slower 
or more enlightened or less enlightened or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an aid to just dropping everything and sitting and doing the practice with my whole body. And the thing is, it creates this sensation that's the like the mittens on your teeth that we that we yeah. are looking for. <laughs> I'm not I don't I don't obviously like I'm not like trying to say I, I know, but what if creating that aid is making it too easy for you? Well, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It's a lot of work because it because it involves the whole body. Yeah. But you said it's making it easier not to think about stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean by easier is is that the the distractions of like a not fully engaged body and mind drop away when the whole body is involved this way. Yeah. So like yeah, I was just just trying to challenge you like what if engaging the whole body like that is aiding you in not having to think as much and it's making it easier in a way. Well, are you saying that wrestling with tumultuous thoughts is a, is a good, affirmatively good thing about Zen practice? Like, is that what we're supposed yeah. to do? Well, it's not like they're not there. It's not like I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's, it's that it's that the biggest change in how that's happening for me is that it's gone from using thoughts to deal with thoughts to using something completely unlike thoughts to deal with thoughts. And, you know, like that, that the thoughts are thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. And then the stop. Yeah. Thinking. Yeah. Stop thinking. Stop thinking. No thinking like that doesn't work. <laughs> but but when thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts are happening and like so many more organs and nerves in my body than than are involved in that are doing something else. It doesn't even need to stop. The thinking doesn't need to stop. It doesn't need to go away because it's just this one tiny little whispering thing that's happening in this huge, like, crashing ocean of sensations. And that is, I mean, it sounds like I'm, sounds like I'm really talking it up. I'm really trying to sell you on this. But all (laughs) all I'm saying is there's a, there's a feeling to doing the practice and having done the practice that works in that boring mundane way we were talking about. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's what's really cool about Zen practice is that everybody's practice is going to be a little different and there's room for some exploration, uh, within that. And I mean, I, I think that's really cool that you're able to feel like practice is like, uh, brushing your teeth or any other regular ritual that we have throughout the day. Because I mean, I would like that too. I mean, I hear, I heard what you said about practicing with the community being one of your big motivators and, and having sitting by yourself be correspondingly, like not as, not as compelling of an experience for you. Mm -hmm. And honestly, my initial reaction to that was kind of positive. It was like, that seems like a good motivation and and being super motivated to like sit in your room by yourself doing zazen tends to smack of that kind of like i want to get enlightened way of of looking at it and if you don't have that goal and the goal is just about sort of being in a sangha that seems healthy in a way but the the if there is something that feels out of whack to you about not feeling as intrinsically motivated to sit by yourself uh like what is what is it 
Well, I, that's what I was trying to say. Like, it's like this goal motivators. I've taught myself to be motivated by goals for so long that I'm like, oh, you don't have a goal in mind when you're going to sit? Then we have no reason to do that. <laughs> um, and I don't, I, I, I actively don't want to be that way. I don't want to be someone who's motivated by goals because it's making me less happy, um, even though I get a lot of stuff done. That's what I was saying. Like, you seem to be getting more Zazen done uh, mm. than I am. Uh, but when I use these goals, I get a lot of things done. You know, mm. I exercise like five times a week. I eat really healthy. I, uh, you know, I have a 4.0 grade average. Mm -hmm. Like, if I set something as a goal, it will be the goal that I am working on. But in the back of my head, even though I do really well at achieving those goals... I'm always thinking about when it will be over, when I can not like have to deal with that goal anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know how to stop that cycle. I don't know how to just be like, okay, now now go go sit down and and do nothing mm -hmm. uh, because I don't have like it doesn't feel like I'm I'm uh, doing something productive or something, even though I know it is productive. But I don't, it doesn't feel that way sitting. So uh, it's something that I've just been wrestling with a lot. I know what you mean about wanting, about goals having a sort of built in end point. I mean, that's what they are, obviously. But like, yeah. there's a sort of emotional like desire to for the end, for, for not having to have the goal anymore. And, you know, maybe, maybe my way of constructing it is a version of, of this that, that tricks. That, that tricks that system. If the goal is to do Zazen every day, then once you're doing Zazen every day, you have finished the goal so you can get rid of the goal. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, maybe your way of understanding doing Zazen every day, or maybe it's not every day for you. Maybe it's something, some, some other different thing. But if, if it's, if it's constructed in terms of a goal to get Zazen into your life in a particular way, then once it's there, you get to, you get to check it off. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. Like if I if I make it into a goal, which I am used to uh, using as a motivator for everything that I do, I won't want to do it anymore. But if the goal is to start doing it in a certain way and never stop. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do that with some things like brushing my teeth and washing my face and stuff like that but i don't know maybe i maybe i have goals in mind when i brush my teeth maybe I'm like <laughs> the next time i go to the dentist they're gonna like check my gums and they'll be like that looks good <laughs> householders is a production of the atlanta soto zen center in atlanta georgia and the silent thunder order find us on the web at aszc.org our sangha depends on your support you can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.